October 7th, 1993, Woodbridge, Virginia, a baby was born, David Alexander Evans. That's me. A Christmas wish, I'm told I was. The earlier parts are dreamlike now. What I remember was quite a ride. Fredericksburg, Virginia, parental alcoholism. Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, The Simpsons. Always a great love for creativity, always curious of God and ancient mystery. Family was loving, spontaneous, and dysfunctional. Mom taught me love and mischief. Dad taught me reason and tomfoolery, just the best that they could. Many days spent exploring the mind of a Windows 95. The birds sang outside, rejoicing. I cried on my first day of kindergarten, always highly sensitive, always a lover of autumn. Nana died at age four, my first funeral. Swing sets, trampolines. There was much discussion of bills and finances, uncomfortable drunk chats. Used to love technology, always loved 7-Eleven. Spent time at St. Patrick's Catholic Church. Nobody at home talked about feelings. Everybody at home reset the next morning. Always loved interior design and organization. Didn't leave home often. Not many friends. People seemed enigmatic. Parents spoiled us just the best they could. Angry child, remember arguing. Mean to sisters, unintelligent ventilation. Youngest sister had a stroke at five years old, causing her a rough time with the right side of her body. I was ten when it happened, became a hypochondriac after. Middle school brought animalistic children. I became a little animal myself. Hypochondriasm turned to anxiety. Anxiety prolonged then turned into depression. Early teen years brought Nirvana, AIM, MySpace, grunge, cutting, nine-inch nails, bullies, atheism, antidepressants, and increased at-home aggression. Spent a lot of time feeling no good. So much time feeling no good. Troublemaker I was, a kid without a cause. The birds sang outside, rejoicing. High school brought greater civilization. I began my nine-year therapy journey. My therapist was an angel. She showed me all I'd been blind to, taught me to identify feelings, showed me the holes in familial narrative, booed at pep rallies, never school spirit, I saw what it was, met my ranger in senior year, an English teacher revived my love of learning, showed me school isn't education. Mom was hospitalized on Christmas in 2010, cirrhosis of the liver it was. She came back a few months later. Not many friends then either, people still seemed enigmatic. Once homecoming, never again, no prom. Creative writing, journalism, and government were favorites. Mom and I would hang out most Fridays, skipping school. Listen to a lot of Interpol. Teddy by J.D. Salinger shot me into philosophy. Became less of a jerk to my sisters. Started seeing them as people. Met an angel there who'd high-five me in the halls. Very angry at graduation. I knew the world I was to be sent to. Post-high school, I was angry and idle. Mom went back to the hospital in 2013. They told her to stop drinking or they'd take her off the transplant list. It didn't happen. The drinking continued. Arguments over health were frequent. Parents split up that year. Mom moved in with a fellow five minutes away, bringing my youngest sister with her. Around that time, I got my license to drive. A lot of time spent in the parking lots of 7-Eleven and Taco Bell. College kids introduced me to cigarettes. I began volunteering at the clinic my therapist worked at. I would see my therapist with no motivation for change. I heard the same advice for a good while. I felt a mountain on my back, made it hard to move. Our last visits to the hospital were in 2014. Things had looked good and then very bad. My mom closed her eyes, never to open them again. It's a miraculous story for another time. 
My youngest sister went into the mental hospital for self-harm, though she had told us of talking to walls and signs that wasn't of concern. My other sister was my partner in crime during these times. Kendrick Lamar, 7-Eleven drinks, cigarettes in parking lots, Xbox co-op, our personal world, and the beginnings of emotional conversation. I had started drinking after mom died. Not much, but enough. Weight became far greater. Too depressed to do anything but stare at walls, since nothing else was happening. No aim, no direction. Sat around, waiting to die. Then came the holy fire, the great absurdity, the gift of renewal. It started with a knock on the door. CPS, asking for my youngest sister. I gave them her location and how to reach her. We get a call later, saying she doesn't feel safe returning home. How dramatic, my other sister and I comment. A week or so goes by and my dad sits me down. David, your sister says she doesn't feel comfortable coming home because she says you touched her inappropriately a few years ago, and the police want to talk with you. This breaks my little mind. Hurt, confused, furious, cursing. I tell my other sister when she gets home. We curse, are confused and furious. There was pacing in the Taco Bell parking lot. A large fire was burning inside me. The days went on in a stream of anger. Talking to the police would solve this. The day comes, cops ask if I know why I'm there. I say, yeah. She said I touched her inappropriately a few years ago. No, she's saying you raped her. Another battering ram on my damaged mind. With nothing to hide, I agree to take a polygraph. Surely this will end things. It doesn't. The day of the polygraph, the cop says I failed. The battering ram bursts through the doors. What strange nightmare have I fallen into? The cop proceeds to grill me for hours. The birds remain outside, rejoicing with their little songs. The cop says he wants to help. Cop says he knows the machine don't lie. Panicking, confused, yet somehow still trusting, I feel I cannot leave the room. The cop persists. Asks if I, I ask if he wants me to lie. Cop says he wants me to tell the truth. My truth isn't what he wants to hear. Isn't good enough. Won't get him off. Mind bending, reeling, I think, how do I get out of this room? Just tell me what happened, he says for the umpteenth time. A look in his eye says, this will end when I hear what I want. The foundation of my mind splintering, I cave, I say I did it. He asks for details, innocent, I have none. The fucker, it was supposed to end after I broke. He repeats narrative, I agree. He makes suggestions, I follow. Eventually he fills himself and I am let to leave. Dad is outside, my mind wiped of ground. I ask, what do I do? I thought I couldn't leave. He suggests I email them, say I was intimidated. I get home and I write them an email, explaining I was afraid, that there was no way on God's green earth that I did this. Two weeks pass, during which Ranger and I play Titanfall. I begin listening to The Moon in Antarctica by Modest Mouse and smoking many cigarettes. The days then were all a strange haze, misery, strange hope, anger, fear. How could she? Why would she? July 4th, 2015. I wake up and look at the clock. I don't remember the time, but something told me to get up, to have a cigarette. I ignore the voice and go back to sleep. Bam, 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 someone knocks on the door. Put your hands up. Then five cops are in front of me. Three of them have their guns drawn at me. One has an assault rifle on his chest. What a way to wake up. A supernatural grace overtakes me. I am calm. My greatest concern is my lack of pants. I hardly ever slept in boxers then, always pajama pants. I ask if my dad knows. They say yes. I ask for pants. Not breaking their intensity, they say, we will get them. Just put your hands behind your back. 
I remember Seinfeld was on in the holding tank. I remember explaining myself to everyone in there, most there for drunkenness. The first call I made was to my brother. I remember mentioning Seinfeld. The first night in the cell was strangely comforting. No more action, just rest. There was a window I could look out of. I mostly huddled next to the wall trying to sleep. The next morning brought false hope. I am asked out of the cell, told that I'm leaving. Not free, nay, I am transferred to Rappahannock Regional Jail. I was placed in protective custody where they placed anyone accused of sex crimes. I told anyone who would listen my story. I called my family as often as I could. It'll be figured out, was the song they sang. The food was so rough I didn't eat anything but dessert for three months. I was 245 pounds then, so I could stand to do so. The first five months, the cells had no windows. Fluorescent bulbs were the only source of light. The people in there were strange, though no stranger than most in my eyes, sheltered as I was. The first meeting with my public defendant was hopeful. Your sister is a flake, been in and out of mental hospitals. We got this. No DNA evidence. This should be open and shut. Huzzah, I think. Though not quite so easy. Not at all. The next meeting with my lawyer, I am told there is no hope, that I had fucked myself, that confessing was the stupidest thing I had ever done. My lawyer says, they got you good. They played you like a drum. She says I fell for their every trick, that I should take a plea for 20 years, 17 suspended. It's just three years, she says. Prison's not so bad, she says. The one I visited had a salad bar. What a strange dream. I call my brother. I say I want to fight. He says to take the plea, says he read about folks with evidence on their side, getting many years even so. I wonder how many times will I roll over. With no power of my own, I accept. The next meeting with my lawyer tells me the judge should accept the offer. Supposed to end when I broke, I thought. The days are so hazy, fear consumes me and mostly numbs me. Anger is a constant. Clumps of hair are found each morning on my pillow. End this, end this, end this. On October 30th, the Alford plea was accepted. I was now a felon and a sex offender with two and a half years to go. I spent a lot of time writing friends, spent a lot of time reading, spent a lot of time thinking. At some point, I thought of my therapist. I thought of her and all the free time I had. I decided to figure out why I felt so bad all the time, why I was such a mess. So I journaled just about every day. I remembered she taught me to meditate, so I began meditating. Still on mood stabilizers, I began meditating and thinking. I was still agnostic. I did not want to find God in prison. Too cliche. One day while meditating, I felt this incredible love overtake me. I cried. This is God, I knew. It was clear to me that nothing else in this world is worth more than this love. So I gave myself completely to it. I told it I was its vessel and would do whatever I could for it. Afterwards, I got feelings that turned into thoughts, ideas that explained the world and its workings, the blueprints and maps. The angel from high school wrote me. She was the inspiration to continue self-discovery. Sylvia Plath's journals taught me to read poetry. Prison taught me so much about communication. I learned how to defend myself physically using only my mind. Keep silent. Keep eye contact. Keep love. Through institutional incompetence, I went a week without medication. So I quit medication completely after that. My brother got me in touch with the University of Virginia's Innocence Project, a venture still pending. My mom's spirit kept me through tougher times. My family visited every opportunity they could. Music helped me with my sanity. 
I had a music player and was kept company by Elliot Smith, Interpol, Quasi, the Postal Service, Modest Mouse, Connor O'Burst, the Microphones, etc. I had 711 songs total when I left. February 5th, 2018 was the most beautiful morning. Dad, my brother, sister, and her boyfriend greeted me. I now weighed 165 pounds. To be in a non-state car moving so fast was a trip. All things flowing free and beautiful until I got to the probation office. The wannabe cop I met there made me believe I stepped into 1984. Random house visits, no internet, 9 p.m. curfew, restricted areas, no smartphones. We are watching you. You have 17 years above you. You breathe our air. I didn't write freely in my journals. I lived again in fear. Polygraphs were a part of probation. I knew how reliable they were. All the fun of meeting with friends and family was laced with a fear of compliance. I needed a job to comply. I had to pay court fines before I could get a license. No car, no job. Enter the angel I wrote in prison. She lends me $4,000. I pay off the fines and get a car and a job. And a job and a job and a job. Welder, server, doormaker, server. I lived in a quasi-halfway house my first six months in King George. I noticed I was institutionalized and that I wouldn't leave the house or other people's cars without being prompted. So I walked eight miles to and fro the nearest 7-Eleven to prove I was free. When the time at the halfway house ended, I stayed in motels by grace of God and familial support. The mind games of probation lasted a long while. Mom's spirit told me, have no fear, live your life. These things do not belong to you. So gradually I did, an avalanche of sorts. Life gave me a party I'd been so long without. I smoked a lot of weed and drank all too freely. World was madness in the system's grasp. At 25, I lost my virginity to a woman I thought loved me. She showed me sad parties and the ways of the body. I got deeper and deeper into metaphysical ideas, gave myself cigarette burns after one and a half forties. Climbing to the peak of Mount Stupidity, when I reached the top, I went back to jail. I had missed three classes, something indisputable. Those classes were a part of probation, a whole different kind of hell. A group of seven or eight, pay $30, meet once a week, tell all of your sexual behavior, how many times have you masturbated since last meet, tell us what you did, denial is the first thing you overcome, you overcome it or you go back to jail, and again and again, anytime eyes were on me, I was back in the interrogation room. This was a whole new concept for me. How do you recognize and heal that which never occurred? I missed three of these reveries, so I went back for three months. I considered it karma for the party barge. A cherub helped me leave, gave me a place to stay. I was released 2019, Thanksgiving Day. I returned to my uncles and aunts February of 2020. Life calming all the way down. Working at grocery outlets. COVID was a blessing in disguise. Those classes were made phone only. I had to start over in a new county. They helped me through it just as the police before, a mind-bending thing, giving myself over, again and again and again, anything to never go back. It made me consider who I was, what details of myself really meant, how perception varies to your source of light and what games you play. I realized there is no me, but only I. Taoism has been essential to healing my mind. Yoga has helped me integrate the trauma in my body. Faith, the vehicle to move forward. I passed every polygraph with God at my side. I gave up completely, let it all flow. Just as mom said, it wasn't for me. 2020 brought existential dread and psychedelic visions. 2021 brought bicycling and long walks. 
Not many friends. I seemed enigmatic. Biweekly hangs with my brother and tennis with my dad eased away loneliness. No direction, no aim. It drove me wild. Working groceries, so much free time. A boat with no sails, so inward I turned. To be as free as I could in my present state. This went on until December 1st, 2022. I went to support my ranger at his writer's workshop in North Carolina. There I met Yanni, a fellow tree. We became great friends, chatting on the regular. Swimming together into the depths, she understood the things I would say. She made me laugh with little effort. The other half of my celestial coin, a mystical woman I'd found, lit her incenses with a blowtorch. With freedom from the stately clutches, Yanni and I decided to move in together. Three months and true love will show you an ache too great to be apart. We grow herbs and tend land, heal nouns of all kinds. We're like children most of the time. In present age, my lungs draw air, my heart continues to beat. I am alive and I count my blessings. I have forgiven my sister. I thank her, in fact. The effect of this experience sent me to depths I'd never have reached otherwise. I've taken shit and turned it to gold. It's not so bad, never so bad, as anyone could make you believe. Interpol still plays, pumpkin spice as always. I look, I look with anticipation to the rest of my days. The calmness of life now is something I'm still adapting to. The mountains are beautiful, traffic is low, the birds still sing outside.